Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Revelation 22, 20, very end of the Bible, very end of the book of Revelation. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the Greek term here, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the conclusion of the whole Bible and of the New Testament in particular. And the response is there in verse 17, but also in verse 20. It says, I am coming soon. And the early church understood this quickness in coming as ushering in the end of all things. But it's been 2,000 years after Christ. And this coming quickly, I think we must regard ontologically, that is, in regard to something more deep than chronologically. And I believe this prayer calls for the parousia, or the second coming, that is, the presence of Christ in the world, even before his second coming. I think we're to pray this prayer, and that's what I want to encourage us to do, is to pray this prayer as part of our understanding of who we are and where history is going. This is a prayer of turning the world into the new Jerusalem, into the church. The prayer is both personal and it's cosmic. Let God be all in all, I think, is the meaning of the prayer. Let God be in me. Come, Lord Jesus, to me. Come, Lord Jesus, to the world. Christ is present in the church, but at the same time we're calling upon him to come in all of his strength through the church to the world. And so the second coming of Christ is not merely a future event or simply a future goal. This coming of Christ into the world is the avocation of, or it's the calling for all Christians. That is, we are participants in this bringing about the Maranatha. This eschatological event is to shape the direction of our life and it captures the meaning of our life and of history. Christ is coming and Christians and the church are ushering in Christ to the world. And so John tells us in the book of Revelation, history has an eschatological goal. It's going somewhere. And we are to play a creative part in this goal, in bringing this about. History is a means of fulfillment, of an eschatological anticipation, which human effort, individual and corporate human lives, we are participants in bringing this about. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. That describes our effort, that describes what we are to pray daily. The imminent outworking of our time, our lives, our history, 
is the means of the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ is being realized not only beyond history, but also through history. The prayer Maranatha is not a task beyond our strength, but it's an inner conviction prayed in unison with the prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come and dwell within us. And through this eschatological indwelling, through this coming of Jesus, through this understanding, history is seen not merely as a time of waiting for the second coming of Christ, rather history is a positive path which has to be walked. And of course history, I mean individually and corporately, history therefore is determined by the readiness, the expectation of what is already present but still to come. It is the now and not yet. And we are living in this tension of the now but not yet. So come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. This prayer for salvation implies both the end of the world and the way to this end. We are to bring about and accomplish this end in our lives. Maybe this is our creativity, the entire creativity, the entire creative activity of our life that is the whole of human history to which God called the human race is accomplished in this inspiration, Maranatha. Our prayer, our life, our creativity, it moves history towards this end. It does not deny history, but serves as its inner fulfillment. And so as we usher out the old year, I'm thinking here of the image, you know, you see the little baby at the beginning of the year, by the end of the year he's kind of a hunched up old man. We were struck once again with the rapid movement of time. The years are flying by. Three score. Four score. You know, we're at the summing up. So how do we view our time, our history, or history in general? And I think as we talk, most of history is tragic. Hegel, Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, calls history the slaughter branch. And of course, it's Hegel who imagines that through this slaughter, progress occurs. It's Hegel who gives us Marxism, but also the idea of history as progress. Not an eschatological progress toward a transcendent goal, but an inner closed progress within time and history. And so as we talk about Herod and the closed understanding he had, we talk about his slaughter of the infants. We witness the slaughter in Gaza, where we see the Herod of our day slaughtering Palestinians. We're witnessing the slaughter in Ukraine. We remember the slaughter of Vietnam, Korea. You know, we can just go through the periods of our life. World War I. My father remembered World War I. Many of us remember World War II. The Russian Revolution, which we don't talk much about, but killed tens of millions. The Chinese Revolution killed tens of millions, hundreds of millions of deaths in the 20th, 20th, or first century. Most of history appears to be tragic and is tragic. I just finished, I got a Christmas present about uh, the history of the American West. 
in which General Sherman, you know, who conducted a scorched earth policy in the Civil War, he just burned everything, destroyed everything in his path. And then he was assigned after the Civil War to go out west and to round up the Native Americans, the Indian Wars. And at the end of his career, he goes to West Point and he gives a speech about the tragedy of history. He's seen a lot of bloodshed in his life. He says, war is written into the human soul. Wars have been, are now, and ever will be, as long as man is man. You cannot prognosticate that we are to be wiser and better than those who have gone before us. And that because there is now or in sight no just cause for war, that we are therefore to be forever exempt. Wars do not usually result from just causes, but from pretexts. There probably never was a just cause why men should slaughter each other by wholesale. But there are such things as ambition, selfishness, folly, madness, in communities as in individuals, which become blind and bloodthirsty, not to be appeased save by havoc, and generally by the killing of somebody else than themselves. This should not be, but is the fact, and we are no exception to the general rule. In corporate history, in American history, in individual history, I think we can see the tragedy. We know the senselessness of life can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming at an individual level. William Shakespeare puts it this way in Macbeth. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets this hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. As Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes, and I, I must admit I was tempted to just quote this whole chapter in Ecclesiastes because he just goes on and on. But the opening of the chapter is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. But of course history is not simply meaningless tragedy. As we know Christ has broken into history, bringing God's eternal purposes into time. But we also understand how a closed view of the world might convey this, what we might call a secular understanding without recourse to what lies beyond history. It cannot account for any meaning in history, though this is the temptation, is to attempt to find meaning in the history per se, examined with it in its own boundaries even within its own achievements, I think history turns out to be a great failure. Christ's entry into time and history is its rescue. This is our story. This is the story of the church. As an inner force within history, the church is the place of the realization of salvation. And of course, what we mean here by salvation is the realm of divine and human reality being joined. 
This reality is the moving force of time and history. It drives history towards its fulfillment in eschatology, that is, in the end times. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. So time is not an empty passage into eternity, but it is the church's development. It is our development. It is our development and completion. History we recognized in Christ is open-ended. It is continually open to eternity. But strangely, this same fact establishes the tragedy of history. When it is approached from the point of view of the expectation of its own inward progress, our own lives from one perspective might appear tragic. But from the eschatological perspective, we understand life as ushering in the perusing. So history is going through a process of creation, just as an individual does. But ironically, the tragedy of life is felt because we are made for eternity, but we exist in time. The tragedy of time is felt from an eternal perspective. The New Testament expresses this in the notion of kairos, which is a Greek term meaning the fullness of time, the opportune time, a time in which there is a moment for action. And that's the way Christianity is portrayed. Time is the opportunity for eternity. There is a fullness of time, a purpose for history. As Mark 1.15 says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the opportune time. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2 And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so throughout the New Testament, there is this picture of time as kairos, the opportune time, the time in which eternity comes to time. The time has come, or the time is at hand, in which eternity is breaking into history. And both imply, you know, the idea of an apocalyptic breaking in. Our history is being broken into by eternity. Our history is a part of the movement of Christ. Another way this is pictured is in the two Adams in Romans. The first Adam is being fulfilled by the second Adam. And this is the meaning of history. Let me read Romans 5, 17 to 19. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, 
the many will be made righteous. Paul's saying all humanity shares in the first Adam. He's talking about a corporate humanity. All share in the effects of the fall. All share the propensity for sin. More than that, all share the Adam nature. But there is a mystical unity of all mankind in, in this first Adam that is completed, corrected, and fulfilled in the second Adam. That is, in Christ, starting with the Incarnation, this mystical humanity, this mystical Adam, is elevated to the notion of the church as Christ's body. And so there is corporate humanity, the first Adam, fulfilled in the corporate humanity, the body of Christ. Every child of Adam shares a nature which is made for redemption. This is simultaneously individual and corporate. And we can glimpse how our individual humanity participates in corporate humanity. We are both the subjects and the objects of history, is another way to put it. A concrete human being cannot be conceived independently from humankind. Every human being possesses and lives in his or her individuality, that's true, but at the same time also possesses humanity in common with others. And think here in terms of history, in terms of time. But this is the state of the first and second Adam, living in tension between these two realities. The human being is as much an individual as a social being, and humanity is being reshaped in Christ. And so the existence of humankind as one human family, I think this is the presupposition for a correct understanding of where history is going, whether our history or corporate history. The human being is seen not only within the closed boundaries of our own being, our own individuality, our own kind of microcosm, but human beings are a part of the whole and they form a part of a mystical human organism. And thus Paul can speak of all humanity as in the first and second Adam. And so the idea of the church in this sense is applied to the whole world. This is the world's real foundation. This is the history's real aim. The body of Christ is the meeting point of the first and second Adam. In the church, history and eschatology, the presence of Christ in history, that is, is being worked out. But of course, the church exists in tension. We're within historical reality within the first Adam, but equally in the process of transfiguration into the second Adam. This transfigured life, though, is accomplished through history, through our individual history and through our corporate history. And so on the way to the eschaton, on the way to the parousia, human history becomes the history of the church. Now the church, we're not talking about an institution, but as the spiritual force of Christ in history the parousia being worked out in history. Eschatology, the coming of Christ, the coming of the Spirit, functions as the realization 
of the inner fulfillment of history. Let me close with this quote from Sergei Bogokov. He says, The church has no continuing city on earth, but seeks one to come. Orthodoxy implies inspiration, the arrows of the church, her yearning for the bridegroom, the feeling proper to his bride. It is creativeness directed towards the final goal, the expectation of the end. And so in this new year, we pray, we should pray, we should pray daily and creatively. We should live out the prayer, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.